All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. For the next five weeks, we're going to look at five basic principles in 1 Peter 3, 7 that affect every kind of relationship you and I have. 1 Peter chapter 3, that's in the New Testament, and it is right before 2 Peter, in case you're having trouble with that one. It is 1 Peter 3, 7, likewise you husbands dwell with them. The antecedent of them is wives with understanding or knowledge giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. The first allusion is to the idea of submission. Likewise, you husbands. The second is we are to give honor to the wife. And the third, I'm going to take them in this order, is to dwell with them with understanding. The fourth is to treat them as an heir, as a unity. And the fifth is that your prayers may not be hindered. The relationship between prayer and your other relationships in life. But verse 7 begins with likewise. It's a reference to the concept of submission. The whole book of 1 Peter is devoted to the concept of how do we live the Gentile and the Jewish Christians to whom this book is written, how do we live in the diaspora, in the dispersal of God's people, how do we live under persecution and suffering? Next week, the week after the Sunday after July 4th, we'll look at honor. What does that mean to honor people, honor God, honor the King? But this week, I want us to look at submission. I think you're going to study honor. Don't you study that today in Malachi? Many of you at least, but anyway, some of you, any of you, none of you. But, uh, oh, it's tithing. Like I said, submission. Yes, uh, that's right. Good, tithing. Now, watch where he begins in chapter 2, verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as servants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Now he begins with submission to government. Submission to the ordinance of man. Why, class? Always for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. As the signers of the Declaration of Independence wrestled with this issue in 1776, we ought to think about this for a moment as we begin to think of our great freedoms this week. As they wrestled with that, one of the key questions and one of the key issues in every church in America, in the colonies, was the question of how far do I go in submitting to the king. That was the issue. 
Do we stay under the king's authority even when he taxes us? Do we stay under the king's authority when in good conscience I no longer can do that? One Church of England pastor in Virginia resigned his church because the liturgy contains statements of allegiance to the king of England. And he said, I cannot in conscience lead a liturgy which pays obeisance to the king of England when I feel like the king has been unjust and out of conscience he resigned his church because he would not do the liturgy with allegiance to the king of England. And the question of submission to kings was the theological question of 1776 when our independence was declared. And in a sense, it is still a large issue, isn't it? How far do we go in an age when we emphasize rights rather than responsibilities and everybody wants their rights and everybody wants what's coming to them? How do we apply the concept, the biblical truth of submission? Now the second time, the second theme he takes up is in verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, that is fear to the Lord, not only to the good and gentle, but even to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? I mean, you get what you deserve. Amen? Anybody ever been beaten for what you deserve? Anybody ever deserve a beating you didn't get? Yes, I suspect a lot of us. But when you do good and suffer for it, if you take it patiently, that is commendable before God. When somebody mistreats you and you are submissive to the discipline of that mistreatment, that's when you score brownie points, character points, I call them, with God. Because then that is good and commendable before God. The next time submission is mentioned is in chapter 3, verse 1. You wives, be in submission to your own husbands. Oh, we don't like to talk about this. But I want to tell you something, ladies, that you are not the only ones. Don't feel sorry for yourselves. Forget it. You're not the only ones who have to be in submission. Amen? I mean, every person here is in submission to some authority. You're in submission to the highway patrol, right? <laughs> if you aren't, you will be shortly. You're in submission to the Internal Revenue Department, right? If you aren't, then you're late. <laughs> and you better hurry up. <laughs> you're in submission. Everybody here is in submission to someone or something. Wives, be submissive so that if you happen to live with a man who doesn't obey the word, he can be won over without any word. You don't have to nag your husband to lead him to Christ. Some women think the only way you can change your husband is to nag the tar out of him. Now, I found that the human nature... The nature of human nature is like this. If you push against somebody, guess what they're going to do? Put your hand up, Ermie. If I'm going to, if I put, look, at, he immediately pushed back. That's your, see, there, see how stubborn you are? <laughs> <laughs> he just naturally pushed right back. That's the nature of human nature. You try to force your husband to go to church, he I'm not going to church. See, that's the nature of human nature. I haven't seen many natures differ from that, have you? 
Anybody here married to somebody with a different nature than that? <laughs> wow. If you'd raise your hand, I was going to say prove it. But anyway, I'll move on. Now he says in verse 7 that in the same way, you husbands should dwell with your wives with understanding. And we should be submissive to them. There is some sense in which we should be submissive. But I passed over the central point. So let's come to it. It is in verse 21. To this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins through him, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So the whole passage and the whole concept of submission turns on the idea that the Lord Jesus was submissive to the will of God and to the suffering that God had for him. That is very, very important. It all hinges on Christ, who there in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this what? Pass from me. Do you remember? Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Let thy will be done. Now, submission comes from the word, the idea comes from the word hupotasso. Tasso to bring and hupo under. Hupotasso, to bring under. It is a rich word. And uh, it is more than obedience. Submission is not just obedience. It is more than that. To bring myself under is to bring myself inside this building in a rainstorm into the protection of this building. It is to put myself under the protection of the local police force. It is to put myself under the protection and the care of a physician. It is to submit is to put all your life, yourself, your person under protection. That's one concept of submission. Another concept that is involved here is the idea of putting all my feelings and opinions and my knowledge at the disposal of another. When I say I submit, when Guy did his Doctor of Ministry degree and uh, became Dr. Hip, and uh, we did a 10-week, uh, uh, wasn't it, leadership seminar under his direction, I put myself, I submitted myself to his leadership for 10 weeks as we studied team building. I, I put everything I was and had at his disposal for that 10 weeks during that period of time. And as soon as we're done, I took it back as quickly as I could. No. Uh, and for that time, I submitted to him. See, that's the concept. It is an attitude of the heart more than just an act of obedience. It is a lifestyle. It is a spirit. Submission is a whole word that involves my mind, my will, and my emotions. 
Now, for a husband, I put my, when I submit to my wife, even though I'm the head of the home, I still must submit to my wife's needs. And I put everything I have in him at her disposal. That is what submission really means. And thirdly, finally, it means to trust or to lean on. I am submitting to the ski lift when I climb on that thing by faith and it takes me up the mountain, right? <laughs> or I get on one of those new rides at Carowinds. You think I'm too old to go to Carowinds? You know, I think I'm going to get together. The, young, the junior highs go, the senior highs go. I want to get together a group of men, 55 to 85, to go to Carowinds and ride the most dangerous rides. See if we can get us a senior citizens group discount and get a little extra insurance before we go <laughs> and uh, get, some, uh, uh, get some Flexol or some kind of gel for our knees and uh, we're going to head to Carowinds and bring the ointment crowd to Carowinds. Wouldn't that be great? Well, that'd be a lot of fun. How many would like to do that with me? You'd like to do that? I mean, there's no reason for all these young whippersnappers to have all the fun, Ken. I'm sick of that, right? Let's have us a senior citizen's Carowinds risk ride trip. Amen. What day can we go? <laughs> Tomorrow, huh? Not this afternoon. Huh? Busy. Submission is not giving in to abuse. It is not empty-headed acquiescence to just anyone. It is not accepting second-class citizenship. That's not it at all. Submission does require that we're able to distinguish, Peter said, between suffering wrongfully and suffering needfully. See, that's the, the, the point here when he says in verse 19, this is commendable if one endures grief suffering wrongfully, but what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. So submission means that I put myself at the disposal of God the Heavenly Father. There's a sense in which all submission in the life of a Christian, whether it is my submission to you as a member of the body of Christ, or your submission to me as a member of the body of Christ, your submission to your husband, your submission to your wife, your submission to government, all submission in all relationships begins right here. It starts with submission to Almighty God. And submission in every relationship is to be as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. Verse 13. Commit, submit yourselves to the ordinance of man for whom sake? Because you like the law? I don't like the income tax law. Anybody here like the income tax law? You talk about taxation without representation. Listen, if the early colonies had paid the taxes we paid today, there would have already been a bloodbath in this country. <laughs> but anyway, a lot of things I don't like. You, you, a lot of things I don't like. I'm sure there are a lot of things you don't like. But I submit to them. Why? Because I agree? No. Why? Because I like them? Why? No. Why? Because I am submissive. I live in a lifestyle of submission to Almighty God. Now, people who lived in Russia under communism found this tough. The Russians were already Stoics, you know. I mean, you read Tolstoy. And they were Stoics. They steal themselves, the Eastern mystics do, and take whatever comes because that's what God intended. That's one side. 
It's interesting to study the Russian society. The boys are kind of just tolerated and girls are given all the attention in the elementary schools in Russia. And uh, so the boys grow up kind of feeling emasculated because it's a babushka society. Essentially, the grandmother calls the shots. And boys are just irresponsible things you have around. Did you know that? That's really true. Read Boris Yeltsin's biography, and he tells about when his wife uh, was sick one time. He didn't know what to do with a baby. He did not know what to do with a baby. He'd never been told why there's so much alcoholism in Russia, if you understand the culture. He didn't know what to do with, the, with his baby. Now, now, get this. So he got on a train and took a 30-hour ride to his mother's. The babushka. 30 hours so she could take care of the baby. But when he got on the train, he had made no provision to feed the baby. And he walked up and down the train trying to bribe somebody to feed his baby because the baby was screaming and hollering. I mean, he hadn't even thought about that. Interesting. It was just the situation to which he submitted himself. And whatever will be, will be. And he had made no provision. You know, it's kind of scary when you think his hand's resting on that button. <laughs> think about that. But, but in every culture, submission has to, be, has to be taught because the nature of human nature is to do my own thing. But all submission is to the Lord. Now, look at, look at what, what this chapter says to us here. Now, Peter makes three statements about submission. First, verse 21 Submission is our calling. We are called to be submissive. I'm going to change the things I can change. I'm going to pray for the things I cannot change. And I will commit the things I cannot change to the providential God until he works them out. And if you don't come to that kind of a compromise with the realities of a sinful world, it will probably ruin you at some point. I'm not compromising with sin. I have to come to recognize that I live in a moral world where there is a moral God who one day will stop all this, but until he comes, I have to learn how to live with the effects of sin in a sinful world as Christ is gaining triumph over sin. My calling is to be submissive first to God, to be submissive to the needs of my wife, submissive to my family, submissive to the, the state, submissive to this body, submissive to you as individuals. That is what I was called to. I was not called to be a big shot in the kingdom of God. You were not called to be a big shot in the kingdom of God. You were called to be a servant. And servanthood is developed by practicing submission. Submission. And the pattern is Christ. Hold your hand here for a moment to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. How often we need to be reminded of this, I suppose more often than I remind you. But remember when Paul was talking about, uh, about uh, submission. He says in 1 Corinthians 11.3, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Don't argue with me about it. I didn't write that. If you want to wait till you get to glory, and you can argue with God. Then it goes on to say in verse 7, uh, or, or verse 8, For man is not from woman, but woman is from man. 
Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. Amazing. The first woman came out of man. And since, this, since then, every man has been born out of woman. Which is why Paul says in verse 11, Neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as the woman was from the man, even so the man also is through the woman. But all things are from God. So the first thing we need to understand about a lifestyle of submission is that it is our calling. Secondly, it is our pattern. Christ's submission to the cross is our pattern. Verse 21. He left us a what? What's the word in your translation? An example. An example. That you should follow his pattern, his steps. He committed no sin, no God was in his mouth. That is a pattern. Because the pattern of Christ, because of that pattern, I must practice verse 9, not return, uh, chapter 3, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. So he says in verse 23 of chapter 2, when Christ was reviled, he did not revile in return. Why? Because he lived in a lifestyle of submission. Now, when we follow the pattern of Christ, I reject my privilege of returning evil for evil. That is not a pattern for a Christian. Once and for all, if I show the lordship of Jesus, I must reject the pattern of retaliation. Evil for evil as a pattern of behavior never is right for a Christian. And one of the things that makes us strikingly different from the world is that when pressure is put on us, we don't always have to fight back. I think, I, I think there's a, there is a lifestyle here that most of us have missed, and I work and I struggle with it as hard as anybody. How can I make Jesus' submission to the suffering of the Father the pattern for my life? It is so hard when somebody does me wrong. I want to get on the telephone and tell them off. Do you? It is so hard when the, the nature, my nature is so strong when somebody does me wrong. I want to go to them and get them straight. I've got to straighten everybody out. God appointed me to that. Amen? And the more you try, the more you fail until you accept the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who for evil gives blessing. For wrong, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You cannot do that in your own strength. I promise you, the only way you can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The third thing that Peter says here is that submission is an active response, not just a passive response. It is an active response. Now, watch the key transformation in verse 23. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return when he suffered. He did not threaten, but committed. He went from submission to commission. He went from being submitted to being committed. But he didn't just turn his enemies over to the Lord. He turned himself over to the Lord. I thought when I made that transition in the Christian life and I, I could say, God, those, pre those people did me wrong. Go get them, God. I thought I'd really go born out there, spiritual maturity. 
I mean, just look at it. I have finally grown. I don't take out evil on those people. But then I read that one day and I thought, no, that's not what God says. Jesus didn't say, go get him, God. He wasn't saying, sick him, Lord. He committed himself to the one. He committed his suffering, himself in the midst of his suffering to the one who judges righteously. And so you have a tremendous opportunity here to turn your, your challenge to the flesh into a challenge for the Spirit of God to take over and to manifest His presence in your life. I've seen that so many times in my life. I have to commit myself, Lord, I don't know why this person did this to me. I don't know why this person said that to me. But I commit myself into your hands and I will not try to manufacture my or superintend my own responses. I'm going to do what you want me to do. Now that's true in every relationship. And if you don't practice submission in your relationship to your parents... You're going to be in trouble someday. You know, I often tell young people, well, what's the problem with learning submission? Teenage years are probationary years anyway. They're years to learn. You learn how to date. You learn how to drive. You learn how to choose a college. You learn how to pray. You learn how to make choices. Everything's a probation anyway. By the way, young people, you're not going to be living with mom and dad forever. It's only for a while. They're going to kick you out of the nest as quickly as they can. I mean, they're going to help you on to college when it's convenient and appropriate, right? Maybe that's a better way to say it. So what's wrong? I mean, can't we sustain anything for a while? I mean, for a few years to learn how to live in submission to my mom and dad so that when I get a job, I'll know how to be in submission to the authorities over me. And as an adult, I'll learn how to live in submission to the powers that be and to the God above. Is that too much to ask of any of us or all of us? American pastor's wife was in Hungary and uh, was teaching biblical principles of marriage. And when she talked about a wife being submissive to the husband, the women just roared in laughter. <laughs> That's crazy. Me in submission to my husband? I don't even respect him. How could I be in submission to him? Not in Hungary. Not in much of the former Soviet Union. Oh, no, they don't, they don't, they're not living in submission to their husband. He's a dodo. I mean, you don't want to be in submission to your husband. That's a joke. <laughs> and they roared with laughter. And she turned, to the, uh, she turned to the interpreter and said, why is everybody laughing? And the interpreter said, oh, that's not our custom. <laughs> that's not our custom here. Uh, men are, are for working and men are for having children and that's basically what men are good for. How about that one, huh? And then later she said, when she was talking about building intimacy, she said, have your t husband take you out for supper? And they roared again. They laughed. And she took a survey of the women that were there and not one of those women had ever had a husband who had ever once taken them out by themselves for dinner. Not once. And they laughed and said, no, we, we don't go out to dinner. 
They live in an extended family. There's, there are always people around. And wh whatever they do, the whole family does. All the cousins, all the grandmothers, the grandfathers, and the sons and daughters and nieces and nephews. And everybody does it together. We never have any private time. And, and besides, we don't have money. And then she said, wait a minute. You've got money for everything else. You could do this. So after a, about 45 minutes of convincing them what the relationship of a husband and a wife should be and the place of submission in it, they finally decided that some of the wives would try to talk their husbands into taking them out for dinner. And when they came back the next week for their study, they reported on what had happened. And one woman said, my husband took me to this restaurant. And we sat there, and at first we didn't know what to talk about. We've never been together like that to talk. And then we found something to talk about. And when we were done, he said, I have had a blast. Why don't we do this again next year? <laughs> So help me. Next year. Let's do it again. When we learn the lifestyle of submission, what happens to us? Can I outline for you five blessings of submission and then we'll close. First in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, the first thing submission, learning to live in a lifestyle of submission does is this. It fosters a good testimony to unbelievers. It fosters a good testimony to unbelievers. Chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, how do I know that's tied to submission? What's the next verse? Therefore, therefore submit. Now, the first blessing that comes when we learn to live in a submissive lifestyle, in submission to God, in submission to God's chastening, in submission to each other, in submission to the needs of our friends, in submission in the body, is that that may be the most powerful testimony we have to the world. It's not just love that lets the world know we're believers. It is a broken spirit that knows how to be teachable that is teachable without being weak, magnanimous without being a patsy. It is, it is strong and deferring without being overbearing. That's the submissive lifestyle filled with the Holy Spirit. And when men and women see that in us, we will be a good witness to the world. Uh, Shirley and I were up on Gull Lake at a Bible conference this week, and one of my friends who uh, was for a long time John MacArthur's uh, executive vice president said, come on down to my dock and borrow my sea dues anytime you want. So we went down one day, and, and uh, you won't believe this. My wife, who is only mm -mm, uh, months from being 60, uh, got on that sea dew and rode with me 22 miles on that sea dew around the lake. Boy, I was so proud of her. Now, first, she wouldn't keep up with me. I wanted to do about 45 or 50, and she was cruising along at 15. I kept having to do these donuts to come back and pick her up. Gave me a good excuse. But uh, anyway, uh, 
we went down. I, I, I put a missionary on, on that one when she got tired. And we went down this long channel. We came to a kid about 14 or 15 who had run out of gas in the middle of the channel. And I thought, oh, I don't want to mess with him. I'll just go on by. Too bad for him. That kid ought to know better than to run out of gas anyway, right? And then the Lord kind of convicted me and he punched me in the heart, you know. And I turned that thing around, went back, and I said, do you need any help? He said, I'm out of gas. Can you give me a pull home? I said, you got anything to pull with? I haven't got anything but the drawstring of my bathing suit. And I didn't want to take that one. <laughs> and so I found a pontoon boat going by, and I rode up beside it and waved him down. They had a piece of rope on there, and I went back and tied it onto him, and I pulled him on down to his house. And, and you know, I, as I drove down... I thought, I'm gonna, I ought to mark on the front of this thing, A, A, A. But anyway, we got him back to the house. And, and, and then I started, I thought, no, I'm not going to do this without leaving a word for the Lord. So I just stopped and said, you know, I'm Mark Course from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm speaking up here at the Bible conference about who Jesus is. And the only reason I did this probably was because I'm a Christian. And I saw you in need. And I wanted to get on. But your knee was important to me, and I came back to give you a toe. I'm not trying to build myself. I don't always do that. Sometimes I would have driven on by, and I almost did that day. But number one, it fosters submission to other people's needs, fosters a good testimony. Secondly, it delivers us from self-seeking. By living a lifestyle of submission, we're delivered from self-seeking. Look at chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Look at that. When I am living in submission in the body of Christ, I treat everybody differently than without submission. You're important. I am to be of one mind with you. I'm trying to get inside your mind and understand what you're thinking. I, I'm to have compassion for you. I'm, I'm to back off. I'm to cut you some slack. I'm not to always be judgmental and critical. I'm to love you as a brother. I'm to be tender towards you. I'm to be courteous towards you. Nobody ought to be more courteous than a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit. Third, when you practice submission as a lifestyle, you will, you will inherit a blessing. Chapter 3, verse 9 tells it, Don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, a blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. God says, I have a blessing. For the young person who learns submission, I have a blessing for the child who learns submission. I have a blessing for the husband who learns submission. I have a blessing for the wife who learns submission. I have a blessing for the Marine who learns submission. I have a blessing for the employee who learns the submissive lifestyle. God crowns our lives in some special way with his hand of blessing when we learn and practice submission. Fourth, you know what the Bible says? If you practice submission, you will develop a love for life. A love for life. Submission develops a love for life. If you're not submissive to the will of God in your life, then you get angry at everything that happens, angry at everybody who does something, and you, you live the rest of your days filled with bitterness and resentment and hate. And who wants to live like that? How many vote to live that way? Anybody want to live that way the rest of your life? And the Bible says that when you learn submission, you develop a love for life. 
You develop a love for what happens. You're not afraid to get up in the morning. You develop a love. Listen, look at verse 10. He quotes from Psalm. Uh, he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile and turn away from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. That's a description of submission. And when you learn to live a submissive lifestyle, God says, I will give you a love, an incredible love for life. I just love to watch people who enjoy their jobs. I'll tell you, Jim Israel enjoys his job, doesn't he? I can tell it. I can tell just by talking to him. He loves his job flying those airplanes for U.S. Air. And I hope they keep you a job for a while, Jim. I, I, I just, I, I love to watch people who love their job. I, I love to watch people who love their marriage. Larry and B.J., uh, B.J. shared a testimony and uh, Saul uh, shared a testimony on Wednesday night the other day that her husband made a commitment to take Wednesday afternoon off just to spend with her all this year. Wow, what a man. Has it been a lot of fun? Been fun, hasn't it? Don't you just love to watch people who love marriage? I mean, I ran into so many people, oh, that thing's going to come. Speaking of their wives. And to see somebody who loves... Listen, when we learn to be submissive, we will develop an incredible love for life. And fifth, when you, re, when you learn submission, you receive the face, the face, the eyes, and, the, and the, the ears of God toward you. Look at verse 12 of chapter 3. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers... And the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. There it is. When you learn submission, you, you put yourself in a position to receive the countenance of the Father upon you. And to know his eyes are on you and his ears are open to your prayer when you learn how to live submissively. I mean, a teacher doesn't want to teach somebody who doesn't listen, right? The, the counselor doesn't want to counsel somebody who doesn't listen, right? The preacher doesn't want to preach to anybody who won't hear. And that's why the Deuteronomy blessing is what it is. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to, make his what? His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And when you learn to live in submission, God does it. I can walk in the door and take a look at my wife and tell you what kind of a day she had. Her countenance. Watch those eyes. Those eyes give it away every time. The countenance. And I'll guarantee you can too. I love the face of the Lord. If you don't know when God's shining his face on you, you got another problem. <laughs> For his eyes to be on you and his ears to hear you and his face to be open to you. There is nothing like that in all the world. There's just nothing like that in all the world. And it comes when we learn to live submissively. Paul Stanley told the story of how when he was in Vietnam, he saw a group of American soldiers gathered around a, a Viet Cong and the guy had been shot in the lower leg and they were trying to pick him up and he wouldn't let him. He was fighting and yelling and screaming and using his one leg to kick them off. And Paul came by and said, wait a minute, everybody, stop fighting with him. And he took off his grenade belt and he took off his pistol belt so that the, the, the Viet Cong fellow couldn't get it. And, and when he went over, he saw there was just a 16 or 17-year-old kid. 
And he wouldn't let him touch him. And gradually, as Paul smiled at him, he let him pick him up. And he picked him up and he carried him over to a medical helicopter. The men said, we're just trying to help him, but he won't let us help him. And he carried him over to the helicopter and the Viet Cong, the young boy had never, why does they lift it up? And, and he grabbed onto Paul's legs, scared to death of what they were going to do. He thought they were going to push him out. And then they landed at the medical station and Paul said he held onto his leg the whole time. When they got there, he said he reached into the helicopter and picked him up. And he said as he walked, he could see the medical tent where he was going to be treated. And Paul said, as I carried him over there, I could tell all the tenseness went out of his body. All the stiffness left him. All the pressure left and he relaxed in my arms, totally trusting me and totally submissive to what I was going to do with him. Because in my care, my love commanded that I get him help. <laughs>